Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. There we go. I forgot to turn my microphone on. That's important for this whole thing. So we're doing well this morning? Good. Well, it's good to see you here. Um, We have been in a series called It's Complicated, and today concludes that series. And it's a series that's been about relationships that kind of are a little bit messy. They're a little bit more complicated than the regular relationships. If those of you who are on Facebook, there's statuses that you can put on there where you can say, hey, I'm in a relationship, I'm single, all this stuff. But there's one on there that's, it's complicated, right? Where it's like, hey, we don't really know what's going on, but it's, it's kind of a complicated thing. And so that's what we've been talking about, those different relationships in life. And, and on Mother's Day, Pastor Phil did a whole message on parenting for the end game. Parenting for when your kids leave the home um, and, and how do I make sure I can have a relationship with them. And today on Father's Day, we thought we would do another parenting talk, kind of parenting 2.0. And it's titled Making the Countdown Count. Because if you think about complicated relationships, parenting's got to be one of those that's pretty complicated. Um, you know, if you think about it, they don't give you a manual when you get your kids, Right? I mean, I mean, when you, whether you get them from the hospital at that time or you've adopted your kids and, and you have that moment, they don't hand you the kid and go, oh, and by the way, here's everything you need to know about your child. It's kind of more like a choose-your-own-adventure book where you don't know the end, like you pick A or B, and then you can't go backwards to, to like go try the other ones. And so you're going through life, you know, trying to figure this out and making it all happen, and you're like, oh man, I just don't know how to do this. They didn't give me anything for this. And you kind of go through those scenarios. I, I, I know for me, like the first time I was left home with my child, um, when my wife left and, and, and the baby's crying and won't stop, and then they have a blowout diaper and you just want to go, no. I didn't sign up for this part, right? Um, or, or when they get a little older and, and, and they're starting to learn the word no and you're trying to tell them that. And, and so you tell your, your little, you know, four-year-old girl, no, you can't do that or you can't have that. And they stick out that bottom lip. You know what I'm talking about? And they say, but don't you love me? And so you buy him the pony, right? That's, this is what happens. Um, or, or right now, uh, my, my daughter's a little older, and so um, my 16-year-old daughter has her first boyfriend. And uh, they didn't prepare me enough for this. I mean, he's a nice kid, right? Like, he's good, but, but, but no one is good enough for my little girl. And so I'm caught between trying to be nice to my daughter's boyfriend and wanting to kill him. And, and so... You're just, you're just, it's this struggle between what you're trying to do, and it's just one of those things that's complicated, but, but as a dad, can I tell you, I love it. I love being a dad. I love everything that comes with it, and there are hard days, and there are good days, and there are complicated days, but as parents, that's, that's what we signed up for, and, and it's one of the reasons I love doing what I do even here at Colonial Woods. I love being able to train up the next generation. 
I love being a part of that. For 16 years, I got to do student ministries and be in the, in the lives of, of young people. And now as I've moved into the family ministry role, I get to help parents do that. It's a passion that I have, and it, and it burdens my soul because I think for so many of us, for the whole church as a whole, whether you're a parent or not, this should be a passion that we have to call up, to train the next generation, to show them what to do. And I think that's what I want to talk about. And it has a lot to do with all of us, and it has a lot to do with marbles, which we're going to talk about a little later. But that's, that's the goal, church. And so if you have your Bibles today, would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to look at today. And what's happening here is Moses is uh, getting ready uh, to send the people um, into the promised land. And so he's talking to them. He's kind of giving this final decree before he sends them into this promised land. He's like, hey guys, here's what you need to know. Before you head in there, here's what you need to know. It's for you. It's for your household. It's what you need. If you can live by this. You're going to have it down. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing, the Jordan to possess, so that, your, that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you. And so that may, they may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Did you catch it? Did you see the passion in that, in that passage to raise up the next generation? To, to say, hey, it is so important, Israel, to do this. Did you catch it? Because it's the key to this whole thing. And there's two verses in here before we kind of jump into that training section that I want you to, I want you to look at because there's two verses that are, that are spoken right now, actually all across the world in Jewish homes, that are spoken and recited daily, regularly, in synagogues everywhere. And, it, and it's verses 4 and 5. I want you to, I want to read this again to you. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I mean, these verses we know in the New Testament, it said it's the greatest commandment, right? To do that. Well, these verses are so important that they've been actually given a name and culture. It's called the Shema. The Shema. Now, Shema is actually what it means is to hear or to listen. And if you've heard me preach before, I talk about this a lot. Hearing is different than listening. Hearing is going in your ear hole, and then you kind of do whatever, right? 
if you have kids, it's going in one ear hole and out the other one. But Shema is so different. Shema means to listen, to pay attention to, to respond to. So do you get that? He's saying, hear, O Israel. And that's the word. The word hear, the word hear is actually Shema. That's where they get the whole title of those two passages. Hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. Pay attention, O Israel. This is so important. He's saying this is the most important thing. Shema. Listen. And what does he say? What do we want you to listen to? The Lord is God. There it is. Listen. Pay attention to. Hear. Shema, Israel. And that's the call for our church, right? Listen, Israel. Listen, Colonial Woods. Listen, church. Shema, church. And how do you do that? How do you respond that God is God? By loving Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, church, today, that might be the message. What if God is calling us to Shema the Shema? To simply listen to the Shema. To recognize that God is God. And our job is to respond by loving Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. How have you been doing at that? Have you been able to shema the shema lately? Have you been able to listen, to pay attention, but to respond to that call? I can tell you in my own life, this is not always easy. I have to wake up daily, daily, and remind myself that that is my goal as a believer. To simply shema the shema. Well, let's move on um, to, to kind of the, the actual point, because that, that's a good point. But we're talking about training up that next generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, 1 through 9, can I tell you that, that, that personally, it's, it's called, the call for that is to live out the shema, but also to pass it on to the next generation. That's the call. If you go on, it says, hey, here's what we do. Hear, O Israel, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. But then he goes on and says, hey, and now I want you to do more than that. Here's how you're going to respond to that. And so if you look at verses 6 and 7, they make it kind of very clear. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. That Shema, it's going to be on your hearts, but impress them on your children. Talk about them uh, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Do you notice the when words? The when words here? It, it, it actually tells you when you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to talk about it, 
supposed to talk about the Shema, right? You're supposed to talk about what's going on, talk about the commandments, talk about the Lord. And it says when? It says when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. I don't know if you caught it. That means all the time. Did you catch it? All the time. And, and, and what Moses is telling the people here is that there's action steps. If you're going to actually say, I love you, Lord, and you say, I love my kids, and I want to train my kids, that's great. Good for you, you can speak the language. But he's saying, no, there's more to that. There's a response. There's an action step. He says, you got to talk about it when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. And he goes on in verse 9 and he says this, And write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. And what I take this to mean is, while they are in your homes, while your kids are there, while your students are there, they should be seeing all of that happening in your house. And you have a certain amount of time with those kids before they head out. But when they think about your home, they should be written, the Shema, on your door frames. They should be written on your gates. Anytime you go and you come, your kids should be able to recite these things. Because if it's important enough for you to have that in your heart, shouldn't it be important enough to impress that and to train that on your kids? And you'll see that throughout Scripture, right? You'll see things about training your kids and, and bringing them up. Probably the most famous one is in Proverbs 22.6, where it says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not part from it. Saying, hey, when you're training your kids when you're in your home, if you can get them to, to kind of learn this concept now, then as they get older, they'll hopefully not part from now. They eventually have to make their own call, right? They have to make their own decisions. As parents, that's our goal is to get our kids to a place where they can own it and they can be a part of it. But if we're not doing what we're called to do in the home, training them regularly, how are they going to catch that? That's our call. Parents, you have been given a power, an ability, while you have your kids for those 18 years. Can I tell you a couple of your powers? You get superpowers. I bestow all of you superpowers right now. Right? Your first power that you have is you have the power to set an example. Your kids... And grandparents, this goes for you too, right? You're not excluded here. Your kids, your grandkids, are looking at you to see what Jesus looks like. Ooh. Did I say it again? Here. Your kids, your grandkids, are looking at you to see what Jesus looks like. Let that sit for a second. That's a big deal. You are setting the example of what it looks like to love Jesus. 
you're setting the example to what it looks like to everything in your life. Whether you're spending a lot of time at home, a lot of time at work, a lot of time with your kids, you're setting that example. If your kids are, are, are feeling that you're there all the time, the amount of, dad's in the room, man, you're doing great at teaching sports. Catch that from the video? <laughs> That's awesome. You're investing, you're being there, but you're setting an example. What, what example are you setting? The, the second thing, I think the power that you've been given is you have the power to give an apology. And here's why I say that. We owe it to our kids to let them know we're human. We do. Our kids already think the world. We're on a pedestal. And can I tell you, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. And if we don't, it, you're, and, and this is a little secret for you, moms and dads, especially dads out there, we struggle with this more. Your kids, when they get older, already will know you're a mess up. You trying to hide it and not use the word I'm sorry doesn't help. They already know we're human. And when they're little, they, they kind of forget you're, you're, a super, like, you're a superhero, right? And so we need to be teaching our kids that there is the word sorry and it's okay. I had this happen with my son. About two months ago, we were unloading stuff from the car. And I, I was sure I gave him the keys to the car to unlock the house. He's, he's at the time five years old. But he loves to unlock the house, and so I was sure I was doing that. And so we come in, and I'm looking, as we get everything put away that we're doing, I, I'm, I can't find the keys. And I thought he lost my car keys. And I, and I had a bad day, I don't know, whatever it was, I start asking him, hey, Wilson, where did you put the keys? And he looks at me, and he's like, where did you have them last, Dad? Because that's what we ask him, Right? And I go, I had them when I gave them to you, and where did you put them? I don't know, Dad. Let's go on a mission to find them. And I'm like, no, Wilson, you took the keys. I gave you the keys. Where did you put them? And I'm, I'm, I, at this time, I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting a little bit like, you had the keys, buddy. I gave, I put them in your hands. I know I did that. And so where did you put them? And I feel my temper rising. And I, by the end of this, I'm like, Wilson, you just need to tell me where the keys are now. And you see that little boy kind of, I don't know, Dad. So I go out. I'm like, fine, I'm check one. Maybe... I know it's not there, but I want to check. I'm going to check the car. Sure enough, those keys were in the cup holder, and I must have unlocked the car when I came to grab the thing. And can I tell you, my heart sank. Because I yelled at my son. He didn't know what was going on. He was trying to help me. And I, I literally, church, I, I was in tears. Because that five-year-old boy didn't know and I remember going in, and I remember saying, Wilson, would you come here? And he's afraid now, right? <laughs> and he, he walks up to me, and I get down on one knee. I wanted to get him in eye level. And tears are in my eyes. I go, Wilson, I am, your dad messed up. I am so sorry. You did not lose the keys. I did. 
And that little boy started crying with me, which makes it worse, right? And he looks at me and he says this, apology accepted, daddy. (laughs) Which makes me feel worse. (laughs) But those are the moments that I want my kid to know I'm human. Can I challenge you, parents, if your kids have never heard you say you're sorry, you're doing something wrong. Because I guarantee you've messed up. They need to see what grace looks like, but they need to be able to give grace too. And my kids showed me what grace looked like. Your third power that you have, you have the power to invest. You have the power to invest. Your kid is at your home. They are there. They want to be a part of it. It's your time. It's everything that you have. And so you have that power to, to, to be in their life, to get everything that they want from you. And, and, and if we're not spending that time and, and doing that the way we're supposed to, we're missing it. And this, this is where the marbles come in. I know for some of you, this has been driving you nuts. You've been seeing this jar. You've been going, hey, what is he going to do with, these, with this, this whole thing? And so you're like, hey, is he doing the guessing game? How many, how many marbles in there? So real quick, real quick, tell your neighbor, how many do you think are in this jar? Everybody guess? All right, here's the answer. You ready? 936. If you got it right, you win absolutely nothing. <laughs> you wasted your perfect guess for that. There are 936 weeks from the time your child is born to the time they graduate. 936 weeks. See if this stands up. Jason told me it would. 936 weeks. If each marble represents one week, that's the amount of time you get with your your kid. Your student. Now, for some of you, you don't have newborns in here, so maybe you need to see this a little bit more. There are 624 weeks left once your kid hits kindergarten. 624. When they hit kindergarten. When they go into middle school, this jar is full of 364 hormonally challenged marbles. 364 weeks left once they hit 6th grade. You've lost about two-thirds of your marbles. (laughs) Pun intended. When you hit high school, their freshman year, 208 weeks. We just had grad Sunday. And when you hit that final year, some of you, you have juniors who are going to their final year, you have 52 weeks left until your kid graduates and they're out of the house. Now I know what you're thinking. Pastor, why are you depressing me right now? 
Why are we thinking about this? Why can't we just live in the moment? The concept comes from a company called Orange. Think Orange. And it's a, it's a ministry that focuses on strategic partnerships between church and family. And the CEO of Orange, his name is Reggie Joyner, he says this, When you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now. And for some of us, we're somewhere in here. We're looking at, hey, what are we going to do with our students? And what are we going to do with our kids? And it goes by fast. And yet God calls us to be a part of the church, to be part of our family, to train our kids. And you can only get so much time. My daughter, Nicole, has 110 weeks left. My daughter, Taylor, has 162 weeks left, and my son, Wilson, has 630 weeks. And sometimes I wish I could flip that. There's an app called ParentQ. I don't have it on the screen, but ParentQ, if you want to go and download that app, and you can actually put in your kid's age, and it'll tell you how many weeks you have left. It can depress you more. But it can also give you some time to think on what are you doing with the time you have. You see, we're all in a countdown, and the question is, is are we making our countdown count? Are we being intentional? Are we training up our kids? Are we, are we taking the Shema so seriously that we look at every stage of their life knowing that someday this is going to happen? And that's what we want, right? We don't want them living in our house till they're 32. We get that. But you only get so much time, and, and I get it, some kids are still here after college, but, but this is when, you know, if you have a kid who's been 18, they'll tell you, I'm an adult, right? Like, you're like, oh, you don't even know, son, right? But you only get so much time. I did a message several years ago about the different stages, the, the, the caregiver stage is that early stage, and the cop stage when we're teaching them yes or no, and that high school stage is when we're teaching them, uh, about, we get to coach them. And eventually after we get done coaching them, there comes this time, 17, 18 and on, when we become a consultant where we give them our, our advice and they can take it or they don't. But if we're not taking time in this moment right here, to invest in our children, we're missing it. Are you making the countdown count? Now to all the non-parents in here, you're sitting here going, okay, this has been great. What does this mean for me? Well, this is where you come in. All right? Because you are equally as important. Because this responsibility is not just for parents. It is the responsibility of the family and the church to make sure our kids are being trained and discipled. I, I'm a full belief that the primary discipler in, your, in a kid's life is their parents. That is the primary discipler. If you are not discipling your children, you're missing it. But you don't have to do it alone. That the church, we as the church are called to come alongside the parents to help them live out the Shema, to help them train their kids to be a part of that. And can I tell you, I, the, the stats would say that a lot of us as church, we enjoy this part of church where we're sitting here, and I'm sorry if I'm offending you. Actually, I'm not sorry. 
that we are happy to sit in these rows, but when we are called to help the next generation get to where they need to be, we tend to go, there's got to be somebody better than me. And I can tell you, as doing student ministries at this church for a long time, there are some really great homes out there. And, and I could tell you about the Adrians, the Collins, the Jordans, the Tylers, the Graces, the people who, who, who have those homes that were part of that. And you got to see them being discipled, and you got to see the fruits of that. But can I tell you, equally, there, there were kids out there who, who they, didn't ha they had a home, but they considered Colonial Woods their home. Because they didn't have parents doing this. The Alyssas, the Hannahs, the Elizabeths, the Johns, the Kirstens, the Maddies that, that said this is where it was. But can I also tell you, in their life, on both ends of the spectrum, there were the Gordys, the Andreas, the Mikes, the Jennies, the Jims, the Taras, the Lindas, who regularly were leaders investing in these kids. They were a part of their life from day one when they entered into this building. And that's what it means to, when the church and families come together, because there's only so much time. In children's ministry and in student ministries, we do this ratio. It's called the one to five ratio. Essentially, it's you want one leader for every five students. Right? Because you want to control the chaos. You want to make sure there's nothing, nothing bad happens. There's a, there's a guy from uh, the Fuller, uh, Fuller Seminary Institute. His name's Chap Clark. And he challenged this theory. He said, what would happen if we flipped it and made it a five to one ratio? What would it look like if there were five caring adults to invest in the spiritual journey of one kid. How much more would our world change? How much more would we see kids who come to Christ? What if you were one of those people? Age doesn't matter. Experience doesn't matter. Do you love Jesus and do you love training other people to love Jesus too? That's what matters. What would our church, what would our world look like if every parent could say, I know five people, loving, caring adults who are investing in my kid. Now those of you who are 18 and younger in the room, are you tired of me talking about you yet? Because here's what your job is. Can I challenge you? Can I challenge you to let other people invest in you? Because the truth is that a willing heart is a game changer. That if you as a student say, hey, I want people to invest in me, and we know it, right, moms and dads, you could say the same thing over and over again, but one adult comes in, says the same thing, and they, your kids come home, and kids, you know it, when it happens, man, I heard this thing, and moms and dads are like, I said that. But when we allow that to happen, church, it's a game changer. 
So where do we go from here? Got four things real quick. The first one is, is let the Shema, let's Shema the Shema. Let's be a church that just doesn't hear, but listens, pays attention, and responds to God's call. The second thing is, let's make the countdown count. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see Amazon have an uptick in jars and marbles. Or we look at this and say, this is what I have left. And maybe as you take out each week, you put your hand in here and you say, okay, this marble, it's done. But right now I'm going to pray for the marbles I have left. Say, Lord, let these be transformational in my kids' lives. If you need the link, I'll send you the link for the marbles and the jars. But let's make the countdown count. Third is let's invest in the next generation. I don't care if you're single, you're not a parent yet, you're an empty nester, you're a grandma, you're a grandpa. I don't care your stage of life. Are you investing in the next generation? Because there are kids and students that need you. Parents who need you. And this last one's for the parents. Moms and dads, let's identify the five. Can you say, give five names of kids who are investing in your life that you trust? You can be two of them, right? Mom and dad, you should be two of them, right? But who are the other ones? What if you sat down with your kids and you actually talked about that? And said, these are people, who's investing in you? How much would that change our world? How much more church would we see kids who love Jesus and grow up to love Jesus, who train their kids to love Jesus and on, and on, and on. Here's the bottom line. May we be a church who will listen to the Shema. And to Shema the Shema as we make the countdown count. That's our challenge this morning. May we go live that today. So Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you for loving us. And Lord, may we take time to hear, to listen, to respond to what you've called us to do. And Lord, as we look at these marbles and we look at what you've done, would we, would we make the countdown count? May we train our children, our grandchildren, the young people we see in the church, would we invest in such a way that our world won't know what hit them? Lord, may we love you with all of our heart. May we love you with all of our soul. And may we love you with all of our strength. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.